become a new and better person, um, which we can be led to believe that since we're at the beginning of the year. Uh, we're not proposing you try to become new or become better. We're, we're proposing that you actually live like the new you that was created if, in fact, you are a follower of Jesus. Scripture tells us that if, if we have put our trust in Jesus, then we are a new creation. That, that we've been given a new life, that we have been born again, and we have a new nature. The problem is, um, our old nature doesn't want to let go of control so easily, right? Um, and we find ourselves wanting to do what we know we shouldn't do. It's the struggle that Paul talked about in detail in Romans chapter 7, where he sort of sums it up by saying, I love God's law with all my heart, but there's another power within me that is at war with my mind. This, this power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Which isn't great news, right? But then he says this, Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. That's what this study is all about. We're going through a chapter-by-chapter study of the book of Ephesians, which is actually a letter that Paul wrote to a group of new believers in the city of Ephesus. And he's writing to these new believers whom he knows is having that same internal struggle that he described in Romans chapter 7. And he's, he's writing them to help them understand who they are in Christ. That, that because of what Jesus has done for us, we've been set free from the bondage of sin that we've been adopted into God's family as his very own children, that we don't have to earn our way into God's favor or his love or his blessing. We have been given every spiritual blessing. He said in chapter 1, we read that a couple weeks ago. And uh, what are those? Love, peace, joy, um, grace, mercy, the gift of salvation, assurance of salvation, so you don't ever have to live in fear again. Right? And then as a down payment of the eternal life that he's promised us, he deposited the Holy Spirit into our hearts to lead and guide us to walk in this newness of life. Right? So that we don't have to live like we, who we were before Jesus came into our life. Right? And I believe, as Paul did, that as we rehearse and remember and embrace these realities, it'll have an impact on how we live our day-to-day lives, right? So that's what this series is all about. Um, one, let me say this, too. Um, since we started this series, we started uh, sending out like a little encouraging texts um, just to sort of encourage you during the week to live like the new you. And many of you signed up for it, and um, I've been amazed at how so many of you have been engaged in the conversation or just like encouraging each other, and it's been really cool. And um, if you would like to be a part of that, just take your connection card out and put your name and phone number on it. Um, I think we all need to be encouraged during the week. And, um, and this is, it's been pretty cool to see how this has kind of worked. Um, I did it the first couple weeks. Johnny did it this week. I think Kim is on deck to do it this week. So we're all kind of like taking turns sending out texts. Um, but if you want to be a part of that group text where you just kind of get those encouraging texts in the morning or in the afternoon, whatever, um, just... Fill out your connection card and drop it in the offering as it goes by. All right, so the last two weeks, we covered chapters 1 and 2. Today, we're in chapter 3, and we're going to begin reading in uh, verse 1. 
Ephesians 3, verse 1. When I think of all this, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus for the benefit of you Gentiles, assuming, by the way, that you know God gave me the special responsibility of extending his grace to you Gentiles. As I briefly wrote earlier, God himself revealed his mysterious plan to me. As you read what I have written, you will understand my insight into this plan regarding Christ. God did not reveal it to previous generations, but now by his spirit, he has revealed it to his holy apostles and prophets. And this is God's plan. Both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Both are part of the same body, and both enjoy the promise of blessings because they belong to Christ Jesus. By God's grace and mighty power, I've been given the privilege of serving him by spreading this good news. Though I am the least deserving of all God's people, he graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. I was chosen to explain to everyone this mysterious plan that God, the creator of all things, had kept secret from the beginning. God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in heavenly places. This was his eternal plan, which he carried out through Christ Jesus our Lord. Okay, so here in this part of the chapter, Paul explains his role in revealing God's secret plan. God had a plan that he had kept secret throughout the entire Old Testament period, and now Paul, along with the other disciples or apostles in the first century, find themselves at the epicenter of God revealing his plan, and he's using them to do it. And the plan is this. Everyone who believes the good news of Jesus gets to equally share in God's riches. And this, was, this is huge. I mean, for centuries, all throughout the Old Testament, if you weren't a Jew, you were an outsider, right? Listen to how Paul describes that in chapter 2. Uh, chapter 2, beginning with verse 11. He says, don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. You were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews who were proud of their circumcision, even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. In those days, you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel. You did not know the covenant promises God made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. Now, remember... um, A few months ago, we talked about what the gospel is, right? And that the gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ. But for there to be good news, there first has to be what? Bad news. That's the bad news, right? You lived in this world without God and without hope. But then he gives them the good news. Verse 13, but now you've been united with Christ Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you've been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of of law with its commands and regulations. 
he made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from the two groups. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross, and our hostility toward each other was put to death. That's pretty awesome, right? And I don't think anyone, anyone, us, anyone here uh, was born Jewish, right? So this is great news for all of us, right? We're considered Gentiles. Um, but there is no more Jew and Gentile, right? There's no more slave and free. There's no more master and servant. In God's kingdom, everyone who has received the gift of God's grace through Jesus Christ is a child of God, right? And as God's children, we all get to share in the same inheritance. That's awesome, right? Living like the new you means recognizing that we are all equal and co-heirs of God's eternal riches. And if you really believe that, this will change the way you treat people. This will change the way you relate to people. I mean, look around you. You can look around. You don't have to look at me. Uh, You get to, I mean, do you realize that you get to live with each other for all eternity? That's awesome, right? Um, We have the same father and, and we're brothers and sisters. That's awesome. Being brothers, I mean, you know, in the religious community or in Christian community, the term brother and sister is not just a cursory term. We're actually brothers and sisters in Christ forever. We get to live with each other forever. Um, and if you really believe that, it'll change the way you relate to each other. I mean, if you get into a disagreement with someone, or maybe they offend you in some way, instead of treating the relationship like the world does, and, 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 and you're like, okay, I can dispose of that relationship and move on to the next one, right? Our, our culture is that way, right? It, relationships are disposable. We can just move on to the next one. No. If you really believe that we get to lose each other forever, you're going to fight for that relationship, right? You're going to fight through the difficulty and, and, and get to resolution, right? So realizing that you, you'll get to live with someone forever will change the way you treat him or her. Husbands, do you treat your wife like a co-heir of God's eternal riches? Wives, do you treat your husbands like a co-heir of eternity? What about people who aren't Christians? What, suppose they're at the place in their spiritual journey where you once were, where seeds have been planted, but they haven't yet surrendered their hearts to Jesus. Right? Do you treat them like a potential future co-heir? What about the guy who cuts you off in traffic? I mean, all right, let's be honest here. How many have ever cut someone off in traffic? You're running late, Right? Or you got in the wrong lane, you realize you had to get over real quick. Okay. And you're, yeah, of course you do. You're Christians, right? So if, if the next time someone cuts you off, is it possible that they've accepted the gift of eternal life? They're actually a co heir with you, but maybe they need a little bit more sanctification than you do, right? Um, <laughs> it reminds me of um, my father in law, and um, he's already passed, he's in heaven. I know he wouldn't mind telling this story me telling this story, because um, he used to tell it all the time. But um, when I first met Vicky, 
um, he had just gotten saved. And this dude was a rough dude before he got saved. I mean, and he was huge. He was, he was intimidating. I mean, he was like 6'5", 250 pounds of pure bone and muscle, had giant hands, had a big block head, kind of like Frankenstein. He was a little terrifying to me. You know, as a little punk 20-year-old who's wanting to date his daughter. And, um, and so, and he was rough. I mean, all of his, his children's friends were scared of him. But anyway, he gets saved. He's still a little rough around the edges. And he was going to the church that we were going to, and, or his, I think his parents were. And um, the church has some kind of campaign where uh, they were handing out bumper stickers, promoting the church. And, and it said something like, honk if you go to this church or honk if you love Jesus or something. And so they had gotten one on the car. Well, he always drove a little slow, right? So he's like cruising down I-30. We're on the way to church one Sunday morning. Um, and this car comes up behind him and honks the horn and he just flips them off. <laughs> And so they end up going around him, and he sees it as the pastor of the church. <laughs> um, but, but he was already a Christian at that point. He was just still a little rough. So when somebody offends you in traffic next time, how are you going to treat them? Are you willing to treat them like they're a possible co-heir of eternity? Or are you just going to flip them off and say, I'll treat them like a co-heir when they start acting like a co-heir? No, you know? <laughs> In Christ, we're all equal, right? That's what he's saying here. Let's move on to the next passage. Verse 12. Because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. So please, don't lose heart because of my trials here. I am suffering for you, so you should feel honored. Because of that little personal note in verse 13, it's so easy to blow past verse 12 and miss what he's really saying. Listen to it again. Because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. See, Jesus didn't just come to make a way for us to go to heaven one day. Jesus, he made a way for us to have a personal relationship with God. He is our father. We are his children. And just like a child, just like Kaylee, will boldly and confidently approach Johnny, we can boldly and confidently approach our heavenly father. Jesus made it possible for us to go to God boldly and confidently. And again, this is huge because for centuries prior, no one but the high priest was allowed into God's presence. He was the only one allowed to go. At that point, you know, God's presence lived in the temple. He was in the Holy of Holies, the most inner chamber of the temple, and only the high priest could go in there. And, he, and even before he went in there, he had to go through all these, he had to make sacrifices for his own sin. He had to go through all these cleansing rituals um, and before he could go in, right? So what's the difference between how they were able to go into God's presence and how Paul says we can go into God's presence. The difference is Jesus, right? Jesus opened up a new life-giving way to enter into God's presence. Notice what the writer of Hebrews says in uh, Hebrews 10. 
And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. Uh, yeah. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our, our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. Do you feel like you have that kind of relationship with God? You do. Because Jesus paid the price, right? The blood of Jesus has made us clean. You, you no longer have to clean yourself up before you go to God because Jesus already did that. Man, if we really believe that, I mean, it'll change the way we relate to God. It'll change the way you pray. See, I think most of us, have had more than our share of experience with religion and, and legalism, right? And legalism and religion has always painted God as this angry deity ready to hurl a thunderbolt or a, a lightning bolt at you for messing up, right? And, which has kind of resulted in a lot of us feeling inadequate, and that's why we don't pray. But Jesus made us adequate, right? It's not by what we've done. It's all by what he's done. We just receive it. Knowing that God sees you as clean will change the way you pray. I mean, do you realize that because of Jesus, you never have to be afraid when you approach God? 1 John 4.18 says, Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment, and this shows we have not fully experienced his perfect love. We don't have to fear punishment. Why? Because Jesus took it all. All of our punishment. Jesus took it all. Anytime, anywhere, you can boldly enter the presence of God because Jesus opened a new life-giving way to God. It's by faith in him. Faith that Jesus' sacrifice was enough to pay for all your sin, past, present, and future. All right, um, next passage, verse 14. When I think of all this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. So this is Paul's second prayer for the Ephesians. The first one was in the, the second half of chapter 1. And this is one of the most amazing, powerful passage of, passages of all Scripture because it reveals some amazing truths here. 
And I just want to point these out, a few of these out to you. For example, did you know that you can be empowered with inner strength from unlimited resources by the Holy Spirit? I mean, how many of you need inner strength sometimes? It's available. All you got to do is ask for it. I mean, if Paul could pray that for other people, don't you think you could ask God and he would give it to you? Absolutely. It's available. This, this should be our prayer, that God would give us inner strength from his unlimited resources by the Holy Spirit. Did you know that, that as you trust Christ, he will make his home in your heart? I mean, I think a lot of us, if we, ever, you know, if we grew up in a Christian family, we kind of grew up knowing as children that Jesus lives in my heart. Like if you ask the children in children's church, they would probably tell you that, right? How does he do that, though? Right? I don't know, but he does. It's the one thing, I mean, it's, it's, the, it's doing what only he can do, but we have to do what only we can do, and what is that? Surrender, exactly. He doesn't kick down the door of our hearts. We have to open up our hearts and let him in. Right? We ask for him to come in. We ask, you know, we, we trust in him, and he makes our, his home in our heart. And, and, and it, it's, I mean, it's, I don't know how he does it, but it's amazing. Um, another thing is this. Um, you know, Scripture often uses these um, art, agricultural metaphors, right, to describe us and our relationship with God. You know, from the Psalms and Proverbs that that talk about how the godly have roots that grow deep and they're by streams of living water and, and they always have their water and they're refreshed and to the Gospels that talk about, uh, you know, Jesus in Matthew 4 talked about um, the seed that was spread on different types of soils, right? And how the roots took hold depending on the soil or didn't take hold, right? Um, and I think all of us um, want to have good spiritual roots, right, that grow deep and make us stable. Um, I even pray for you guys often that um, God's word would take root in your hearts, right, and bear much fruit. Um, So we're pretty familiar with the whole idea of roots and having spiritual roots. But have you ever considered what do your your roots actually grow into? What is the good soil that we most definitely want to have, right? You know, that parable that Jesus talked about in Matthew 4, I think we would all want to have the good soil, not the, the path soil or the thorny soil or whatever. We want the good soil, right? We want the good stuff. But this passage reveals another amazing truth. God's love is the good soil for our spiritual roots to grow into. Notice what he says, verse 17 then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. God's love is the good soil for our spiritual roots to grow into. This is why Jesus made the command of love the most important command out of all of them. Right? This is why Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, he said, if I could speak all all the languages of earth and angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and and if I had such faith that could move mountains, but didn't love others, I'd be nothing. 
If I gave all I had to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't have, if I didn't love others, I'd have gained nothing. What this means is that every facet of our life has got to be rooted in God's love. And if we're going to grow spiritually, every step of our growth has to be in his love. That's where we have to live, in God's love. And as a new creation, that's our home. That's where we as this little seedling live in his love, letting our roots grow down deep in it so that everything, all the fruit we bear is because of our roots are in his love. And finally, did you know that you can experience God's love and you can understand the magnitude of God's love, but you will never reach the end of it. He finishes this prayer by saying, and may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. What this means is that God's love reaches every corner of our experience, right? It is wide, covering the breadth of our existence and reaching out to the whole world, right? It is long continuing the length of our lives and on into eternity. It is high, rising to the heights of our celebration and our elation. And it is deep, reaching the depths of discouragement and despair, and even death. This is Paul's prayer for the Ephesians as new creatures in Christ. And it should be our prayer too. And I encourage you guys to take this prayer and just change the, the pronouns to personal pronouns and make this your prayer. Say it every day. It's, it's one of the most amazing, powerful prayers you could ever pray of yourself. And then finally, the chapter draws to a close with verse 20 and 21. It says, Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. Now, I've heard a lot of people take this first verse, uh, verse 20, um, out of context and pray for material things, right? Like if any of us spent any time in the prosperity gospel that went on years ago. You've heard that, right? Uh, I even remember my first experience at youth camp. Uh, I never went to youth camp as a teenager. Um, my first experience at youth camp was actually as an adult leader. And the main speaker of this youth camp, there were like all kinds of youth, or youth groups from all over the place that came to this huge youth camp, right? And they had like this main keynote speaker. And he preached this from a material standpoint and talked about how he prayed for a car, and God gave him a Lexus, right? And I just remember, I don't know, it just wasn't a good experience. But, but I mean, a lot of people take this out of context and pray for material things, right? Like, like God, I thank you that, 
that you can accomplish infinitely more than I can ask or think. And so I pray for a car. While you're at it, make it a Lexus, right? Or, or you know, God, I pray, you know, for a million dollars. But, but since you can accomplish infinitely more, I'm expecting a lot more, right? But notice the context, right? He says, now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work, where? Within us. To accomplish infinitely more than we could ask or think. This isn't talking about our external circumstances. God is able to accomplish within us infinitely more than we could ever ask or think. In other words, God can do far more on the inside of you than you can ever imagine. And some of you already know this to a degree, right? Like think back to when you first came to Christ. Some of you came to Christ and and surrendered your life to him when your life was falling apart, right? It was at a moment of desperation. You were at the end of your rope. Do you remember how broken you were on the inside? And now look at you, right? Do you see how far you've come since then? And guess what? He's not done yet, right? He's got a long way to go for some of us, most of all of us, all right? Let's just admit that. Or maybe you experienced some kind of tragedy or um, you know, hurt that you thought you would never get past, right? But look how much now, look back and see how much he's healed you, right? He can do infinitely more than we can ask or think within us if we just surrender to him. See, God can do far more on the inside of you than you can ever imagine, and he has promised to see through to the end what he started in you. Philippians 1.6 tells us, And I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. God can do far more on the inside of you than you can ever imagine. He has promised to see through to the end what he started in you, and he can keep you from falling away so you can stand before God without fault. That's kind of mind-blowing, but look, listen to Jude 24. Now all glory to God, who is able to keep you from falling away and will bring you with great joy into his glorious presence without a single fault. Wow, that's awesome, right? So don't think for one second that God is not in control. We're about to move into communion. That's why they're getting ready. But don't think that God is not in control for one second. right? Don't think for one second that you've ever strayed too far. Don't think for one second that you've done too much or that you're you're too messed up. God can do far more on the inside of you than you could ever imagine. He has promised to see through to the end what he began in you. And he will keep you 
from falling <laughs> so that one day you will stand in his presence without a single fault. So with all this in mind, I want to encourage you to live from these realities. I want to encourage you to live from who you are in Christ, not who you once were, to live from these truths. Let this be the path we walk on. Let this be the truths we embrace as we make the next decision. And I want to, put, ask, I want to encourage you to position yourself before the Lord as a new creation. Not the old one, not the way you see yourself most of the time, but the way the Bible describes you. A new creation that he made you to be in Christ. Christ.